Amen. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray together. As we do, I want to read from the words of Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in a difficult place, in a difficult time, but speaking the message of Christmas when he said this. He said, when the, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you, that is us, are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then heirs through God of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you tonight. Father, for the opportunity that comes around once a year, this particular night, different than so many others, different than all others, Father, when we come back to the very beginning of, of the earthly side of the story of salvation, Father, when as Paul wrote in this passage, Jesus, you in the, in the fullness of time at what you knew was the precise perfect moment, you sent your son into this world. Father, it's a plan that you set forth, you and the Son, the Holy Spirit together, you all set forth in eternity past, and, and you were working it and planning it and moving it and advancing it, and then suddenly one night, Jesus came. And Father, when Jesus came, everything changed. And Father, we are grateful for that tonight, that as, as we come to celebrate his birth, Father, that we're on the other side of it now, that we know the whole story that we know that he, he grew up to live a perfect life. We know that he went on to minister and, and to do miracles and to preach and to save and to change lives and to raise the dead and, and so many, many other things. But Father, then we know that he did the ultimate, that he was born in order to die and he died on the cross in our place, paying the price of all of our sin, rising from the dead. And now, Father, we say as the words of the song we just sang, not a Christmas song and yet in every way it it is a Christmas song that he is worthy. Father, we agree with the songwriter when we say Jesus is worthy. We agree with your word when it says that Jesus is worthy. And Father, that's the reason we're here tonight, because we know we believe that Jesus is worthy of all blessing, of all honor, and all glory, and all praise. Fathers, we gather here tonight. This is an unusual year. Father, many of us come carrying joys and enjoying our Christmas celebrations. Many of us come carrying hardship and sorrow. But Father, we thank you that we know one thing for sure, that we can bring whatever we are, whoever we are, whatever we're carrying, Lord, to, to the feet of Jesus and find rest. And Father, as we've sung familiar songs of Christmas time, of worship and praise, as we've been reminded of the story, Father, we want to now open your word, having, having given you our praise in scripture and song, Lord, we now want, we need to hear from you. Father, we pray tonight, my prayer for each and every one of us, whether we're gathered in this room, whether we're in the room down below, whether we're watching from home, some far off place, Father, my prayer tonight is that you would meet us where you are. And Father, that as I open the Bible and as we look at it together, it would not be the voice of a preacher that we hear, but through the voice of the preaching of the word, the Spirit of God would work in our hearts. Father, we ask now that as we go to your word, as we, as we remember the familiar story of Christmas, but we try to go after it in a fresh way. Father, we pray what we always pray when we come to your word. We, we invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in truth. We invite the Holy Spirit to guard us from error. We 
plead with the Holy Spirit to deliver us from distraction, from apathy, Father, from whatever baggage we carried in with us. And Father, for these precious few moments together on this particular night, Lord, our prayer is that that you really would help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this evening in the preaching of your word. May we see Jesus only this evening in the preaching of your word. And Father, when we walk out these doors in just a little while, into whatever Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever it means for each and every one of us, Father, whether it's something we're looking forward to very much, or Father, whether we're looking at perhaps a lonely and challenging time, Father, I pray that whatever comes next, we will step into it with rejoicing, with renewed hope, with refreshed joy, with revived love. Father, with a strong assurance that because we know Jesus, it's not just that all will be well, but all is well. Because we are yours, adopted as sons, heirs of your kingdom, children, sons and daughters of God. Father, tonight it is Jesus we love. Tonight it is Jesus we seek. Tonight it is Jesus we worship. And tonight it is Jesus in whose name we pray, as all of God's people said together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, again, just let me add my word of greeting, of welcome, of Merry Christmas, of we're glad to see you here and and trust that many more of you are watching us from wherever you're watching us from, near or far. It is so good that we can be together tonight. I know probably like many of you, this is an evening and this is a a time that I look forward to all year long. I love Christmas. I love Christmas Eve. I love getting together with God's people. You know, when I was a kid, I loved presents and I I still love presents and I love eating and I still love eating. But but for me anymore, and it's been this way for a while now, truly the pinnacle of Christmas is what we're doing right here together as a family. And some of you are our guests tonight. You're our extended family. We're glad you're here as well. So whether you're here for the first time or whether you're here for the millionth time, Merry Christmas and welcome. And we're just going to spend some time together now looking at God's Word. I don't know if you brought a Bible with you tonight. I don't know if you have one you want to pull up on your phone. But if you want to follow along this evening, I'm going to be reading and speaking out of Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible and want to make your way there, go to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, but you see someone nearby you who does, and you can do it in a socially distanced and non-creepy kind of way, look over their shoulder and you can follow along. And one way or another, you'll be able to see Perhaps, and if not, you'll be able to listen to what we're going to look at in God's Word. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going. And for those of you who may be visiting with us tonight or maybe back with us for the first time in a while, this is actually the third in a series of studies that we have been doing together over the past couple of Sundays to prepare our hearts for Christmas, which, as you can see on the screen behind me, has been titled In the Dark Street shineth. And we have gone looking over the past couple of Sundays and culminating tonight, we have gone looking for hope, the hope of Christmas in what for so many of us has been a very, very hard, for some of us, the hardest year. And and I hope that those of you who've been with us the past couple of Sundays can say we found some hope as we've gone to God's Word. We've been looking at three messianic prophecies. And, and if you missed the other two, that's okay. This is the main event tonight. This is the one we've been working toward. But we have been looking at prophecies written by God's servant Isaiah long, long ago that pointed to Jesus Christ. But in an interesting way, and hopefully in, a, in, a, in what I pray has been a helpful way, we've been able to look at these ancient prophecies that looked ahead to Jesus and have helped us find hope here and now 
today. And my prayer all week long, my prayer all month long, is that especially tonight, that's what we're going to find together. And I'm going to read God's word for us here together in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to establish or sort of chart the course of of where we're going by sharing with you that it was three days before Christmas, 1941, which meant it was exactly two weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. The British Prime Minister Winston Churchill secretly traveled to Washington, D.C., where he met with President Roosevelt so that together they could begin to plan America's entry into the Second World War. Now, at that particular point in time, much of the world was already awash in blood. And and here at home, here in America, the nation was, for all practical purposes, on edge, wondering, what does the future hold? What are we getting ourselves into? Of course, how long is it going to last? What's going to be the cost, not just in dollars, but more importantly, in in human lives. It was a difficult, challenging, scary time. Well, then late on Christmas Eve afternoon, a couple of days after he had arrived here and his visit was still in many respects a secret, Mr. Churchill and Mr. Roosevelt, about 4.30 on Christmas Eve afternoon, they stepped out onto the White House balcony to address the 20,000 men, women, and children who had gathered on the White House lawn for the annual lighting of the National Christmas Tree. And after lighting the tree, President Roosevelt spoke briefly, not just to those assembled, but to millions more listening at home on their radios. And then, after sharing some brief remarks and wishing the nation a Merry Christmas, he yielded the microphone to Prime Minister Churchill, who delivered a brief yet stirring speech that included the following words. Here's where I'm going with this. The heart of his speech went as follows. He said, quote, This is a strange Christmas Eve. Almost the whole world is locked in a deadly struggle. Yet here, amid all the tumult, we may cast aside, for this night at least, the cares and dangers which beset us, and make for the children an evening of happiness in a world of storm, and let us grown-ups share to the full in their unstinted pleasures as well, before we turn again to the stern task and formidable years that lie before us. Now this particular Christmas Eve, the, uh, the details are different. The challenges are different. In 1941, it was the threat of worldwide war. In 2020, it's the shadow of a worldwide pandemic. The particulars are different. But I would submit to you tonight, as we turn our attention to God's Word, that the tensions are very much the same. The tensions of that day and the tensions of this, what I'm talking about are are the tensions of fear, the tension of of uncertainty. And, And for an array of accumulated reasons, many of them shared, several others may be distinct to one and and not the other gathered here tonight, but for an array of additional accumulated reasons, there is in our nation tonight, and in many of our hearts and homes as well, a pervasive sense of despair. What does the future hold? What have we gotten ourselves into? And what are we supposed to do about it? Simply put, it's been a hard year. As I said earlier, for some, perhaps the hardest. And and you know, much as we welcome the momentary joys of Christmas that Churchill spoke of that evening so long ago, I actually believe that tonight all of us are looking for something more. We are looking for something more than just the joys of Christmas. Wonderful as they are, we are looking for something 
more. What we are looking for tonight in our own dark streets is an everlasting light. Not something momentary, not something passing, something we can hold on to, and something that we know will endure. And the good news tonight is that thanks to the true Christmas story, that isn't just wishful thinking. Because 700 years before the night on which Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah spoke these incredible words. Reading now from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, this is what God through the prophet said. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he, that is God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish this. Now, maybe tonight you're wondering what in the world that has to do with Christmas. <laughs> Maybe tonight you are also wondering how a passage like that, written nearly 3,000 years ago, can help us address, help us deal with, and hopefully in some way help us overcome this sense of despair, as I said, that has cast its shadow over our nation and so many of our lives as well. How can the words of Isaiah help? Well, what we need to see tonight in this prophecy is this. Some of it has already been fulfilled and some of which is yet to come. But what I want to show you tonight, and I'm going to do this quickly, but I'm going to do it clearly, and I hope you're able to take hold of it as I do. I believe in those seven verses written nearly 3,000 years ago, there are three directives, that is, three words of instruction. Three things that God, through the prophet, says that we should do in order to deal with and overcome this sense of of despair. Three directives that when we take them together and take them to heart, I believe they answer this question. What do we do with our despair? What do we do with our despair? Three things. Number one, it's in verse one. The first thing I believe Isaiah is suggesting or directing us to do if we want to overcome any and all sense of despair is we need to, first of all, look at the record. The first thing Isaiah tells us to do is to look at the record. Recently, my dad gave me a phenomenal book. It's called Reflections on the, Exi on the Existence of God. It's a series of essays that are written about our faith and, and about the validity and, and the reliability of it. And in that book, Reflections on the Existence of God, it'll be in my January book recommendations, just so you know. But in this book, the author, Richard Simmons, not that Richard Simmons, <laughs> writes as follows. He says, quote, listen to this. Christianity 
is the only falsifiable religion in the world. For it is the only one that makes spiritual truth depend on historical events. For as wonderful as Jesus' life and teachings were, they are meaningless if they are not historically true. Now the reason that matters tonight as we gather to celebrate Jesus' birth is because Isaiah's prophecy begins in verse 1 by referencing real-life places that could be found on an Old Testament or, or an ancient Middle Eastern map. He talks about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. He talks about Galilee of, of the Gentiles on the far side of the Jordan. And I want you to know that those are real places. They're places that Isaiah's original readers would have known about and and as Isaiah said, they, they truly were, back in the day, places of gloom and of anguish. And the reason they were is because the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee of the Gentiles were, were situated, if you can possibly imagine a, a map of Israel in your mind, in the far northeastern corner of the Promised Land, which was the very place where generation after generation, century after century, when foreign armies and empires invaded Israel, that's the path they always took. They would trample the land of Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun. They would trample the tribe of Naphtali. If you can imagine in a war that, that the first assault was probably always one of the worst, and, and it was where all the armies came through, and this had happened to them time and time and time again. Simply put, of the 12 ancient tribes of Israel, no two had suffered more than these two had suffered. But what else did Isaiah say in that verse? He said, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. For in earlier times, he, God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious. And guess what? Those lands, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, are, well, well, Jesus, we know, was born where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem's way down in southern Israel, but he spent almost his entire childhood an early adult life in the first year and a half of his ministry, guess where? In the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. That's where Nazareth was located. That's where Galilee was located. That's where Capernaum was located, which is the place where he met Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and called them to be his disciples. It's where Cana of Galilee, where he performed the miracle of turning water into wine, his first miracle. That's where they were located. In other words, what I'm saying to you tonight is the place where God's people had suffered most is the place where the world first met its Savior. They used to be in anguish and gloom. But God said one day, all of that is going to change. Look at the record and you'll see it so. And that's one example of dozens, if not hundreds. Where we can look at the story we're celebrating tonight and we can go to the scriptures and say, yeah, it checks out. Yes, it is true. You want to deal with the despair? The first thing you got to know tonight is the thing we're talking about, the thing we're celebrating here, it's not just wishful thinking, it's the truth. Jesus was born. Look at the record, and you'll see it. So that's the foundation on which we build. The second thing we need to do then, in order to face and deal with a sense of despair, we not only need to look at the record of God's word, but secondly, we need to listen to his promises. The second thing that we need to do is listen to the promises that God is making us here. Because what the next few verses of Isaiah's prophecy say is that whenever this thing that God was talking about happens, the people who walk in darkness are going to see a great light. A land of anguish is going to become a land of joy. And, 
and renewal. Whenever this thing, because they didn't know yet, whenever it happens and whatever form it takes, God says, when the day comes, three great exchanges are going to be made. They are as follows. Number one, an exchange of light for darkness. God said, when I intervene in history, when I send my promise one, I'm going to take away your darkness and exchange it for light. The people who walk in darkness, verse 2, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, light will shine on them. He's going to give us light for our darkness. Secondly, verse 3, he's going to give us gladness for our gloom. Gladness in exchange for gloom. Verse 3 says that God will multiply the nation. He will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Now, we've said here a thousand times at Maranatha that when you're reading the Bible and God repeats himself, pay attention. He's trying to make a point. And while I read those, that verse quickly, uh, I, I can tell you if you missed it that three times in that single verse, God talks about gladness. He's going to rejoice with gladness. And then he tops it off after gladness, gladness, gladness. He tops it off with the word rejoicing. He says, listen, God says, I'm going to move in history one day. I'm going to move in history. It's going to start, as we know, in Bethlehem. And when I do, light will replace darkness. Gladness will replace gloom. Thirdly, he says in verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to give you freedom in place of oppression. I am going to bring you, God said, freedom in place of your oppression. He says, for you, speaking of the Messiah who was to come, will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of the oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Now that may not mean a lot to us, but what he's saying is this. One day every instrument of human warfare is going to burn. It's going to be gone forever. Light for darkness Gladness for gloom, freedom for oppression. Commentator Edward J. Young says that what Isaiah is promising us here is a complete reversal of every condition. God is going to change it all. And well, I don't know about you, I like the sound of it. I like the sound of what we're being promised here. Those are promises I think we'd all love to see fulfilled, especially in this despair-inducing year. Frankly, the sooner they come, I don't know about you, the better. Amen? Amen. The sooner God moves in this way, the better. But before we see what Isaiah has to say about that, exactly what this deliverance, this change is going to look like, And who it's going to come in and and really the the heart of of the entire matter. I, I I want you to note one thing before we move on to our last point, and it's this. That that the grammar, the language of this particular prophecy implies, and this is very important, that the things that God promises are going to come into this world, the things He's promising to do through His promised Messiah. They are not things to be achieved. They are things to be received. Not achieved, but received. They are not things we work for. It is not something we earn. It is not something we aspire to. It's not something we accomplish. It is something we humble ourselves and surrender and receive. Listen again. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. God will multiply the nation, increase their gladness, making them glad in his presence as with the gladness of harvest. 
He will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors. He is the one who will do away with warfare and hatred and strife forever. These are things done for us. These are things God offers to give to us. And that then takes us to the third the final and the most important of the directives Isaiah gives us here, if we want to grapple with and overcome the despair of this world, we've got to look at the record because the story is true. We've got to listen to the promises because God is saying something great is on the way. And then the third and final, according to verses 6 and 7, the third thing each of us tonight must do is we must let Jesus be Lord. Let Jesus be Lord. Now when I say that, I don't mean that as if he isn't already, or that as if somehow you don't let him be Lord, he doesn't get to be Lord. No, he's already Lord, but what I'm talking about here, what I mean when I say that tonight, listen to me, is let him be your Lord. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. Because the answer to the despair and all the other troubles of this world, listen, it's not found in a philosophy. It is not found in a formula. Despite what you may have been told, even growing up in a church, it is not found or or arrived at through, through following a certain code of behavioral conduct. Do these things and God will take care of you. Now listen to me tonight. The answer to our despair is found in better the answer, it is a person. Look at verse 6. If you don't have your Bible, listen closely. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us. By the way, in that statement itself, just a fragment of a verse, the seed is planted for what we call the incarnation. The fact that Jesus would be fully God and fully man in one person. A child will be born, how? By the Virgin Mary. He will come by means of natural human birth. But a son will be given. Well, who's giving a son? God's giving a son. He's giving us his son. A child will be born, and a son will be given. And that is the message and the mystery of Christmas. And when he comes, when he came, here was how we would be able to recognize him. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Mighty God. His name will be called Eternal Father. And he will be the Prince peace. Let me ask you a question tonight. As this wearying year draws to a close, and I know it's not been all trouble, but it's been a lot of trouble. As this wearying year draws to a close, as a sense of despair, maybe it's come and gone. As you've suffered trials, some of you deep losses, some of you great challenges, all of us, again, shared trials as well, would it help you to know that you have a counselor who is right every single time? A counselor who always has the answer, who always knows what you need and always knows how to deliver it to you. In fact, a counselor whom the scriptures say that his foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of men. Would it help you to know you have a counselor like that? Would it help you tonight to know That as a follower of Jesus, you serve a mighty God who, listen to me, is sovereign over every ruler, every kingdom, and every power on this planet. You may look around and say, they're getting away with it again. 
They always win. They're never held to account. Guess what? They will be. He's a mighty God. Would it help you tonight to know, furthermore, that you have a heavenly Father who loves you eternally, who loves you unconditionally, who delights to call you his daughter or his son. You belong to him. You are his child. And guess what? Again, according to the scriptures, he only ever does, allows, orchestrates, arranges, permits in your life that which will ultimately be for your good. And would it help you tonight, at the end of this year, this Christmas Eve, to know that you, in Jesus Christ, have a prince who can not only grant you peace with God, but is one day going to establish a kingdom, listen, where the only tears anyone ever sheds are happy ones. That is precisely what we were given 2,000 years ago tonight. The true light that was shining in Bethlehem's darkened streets that night when Mary gave birth to her son, The true light shining in Bethlehem was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was found lying in a manger. And that child who was born and that son who was given is the Lord Jesus Christ who grew up to lay down his life for you. He came not to judge the world, but to save it. And tonight, some of you need to meet him for the first time. You need to come to him and call him Lord because you've never done it before. You need to realize that even if you've spent your whole life going to church and you could tell the Christmas story forwards and back and inside and out, but you've never humbled and received his gift, tonight is the night to call him Lord. And guess what? The rest of us who've already done that, we've been there, we've done that, we need to remember that he still is and that he always will be. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, back in March, when it became very clear to almost all of us that 2020 was to be no ordinary year, back in March, at that time, the, the makers, the, the providers of the, the very popular version Bible app, probably the most popular Bible app, at least in the nation, if not in the world, Well, they saw, beginning in the month of March, word searches, verse searches skyrocket by 80%. And as they have tracked those searches throughout the year, they just came out last week with a report saying that the single most searched word on the YouVersion Bible app in all of 2020 was the word fear. The word fear. There's lots of conclusions you could draw from that. There's lots of thoughts and ideas you could take away from that. But, but what I thought when I read that was this. It tells me that a lot of people know, or at least a lot of people suspect, that the Bible might have something to say about all in this world that ails us. They may not know where to find it. And they may not know exactly what it says about it. But they're looking for an answer to their fear. Tonight, Isaiah's message, the message of Christmas, is that they are correct. Almost. Because the answer that we need, that all of us need tonight, isn't just found in the Bible. It is ultimately found in the one about whom the entire Bible has been written, start to finish. His name is Jesus. 
And what was true the night of his birth 2,000 years ago is still true tonight. In the third verse of a little town of Bethlehem, the song from which the title, the theme of this whole, this whole sermon series came from, when it says this, that no ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And that is why the big idea this Christmas Eve, the big idea of this message, the big idea, the challenge I want to give to you even as I give it to me as well, is that whatever joys you're carrying, whatever sorrows you're carrying, whatever baggage, whatever it is that you brought with you tonight, lift your heart to Jesus and rejoice. Lift your heart to Jesus and rejoice. He is the one that you need. Let's bow our heads together. As our heads are bowed and hopefully our hearts are quiet, as the worship team makes their way back up here to lead us in one final great song of the season, it's time for me to stop talking and you to keep on listening, but not listening to me, but listening to what the Spirit of God may be saying to your heart tonight. Many of you here are believers in Jesus Christ. You came because you know he is the Savior. You know what the story is all about. You love Jesus and you came to worship him. And, and tonight rejoicing for you is easy. And I say rejoice in that. Give thanks to God that you have the hope, that you have the joy, that you have the assurance of who you are and whose you are. Just use these minutes, these moments, just to say thank you, God revealing him to me. Thank you, God, for sending Christ to me. The chances are that tonight as well, whether it's in this room or through the miracle of technology, that someone who's been following along and listening to this message, you haven't yet called Jesus Lord, but maybe God's doing a work in your life tonight. Maybe he has stirred something up. Maybe it wasn't in the message. Maybe it was in a song. I don't know what it was. But he is saying to you in a way that you know it's him. He is saying, come to me. Trust in me. Lay down your sin and receive my gift of eternal life that was offered to us, presented to us in the person of Jesus. And I urge you, I plead with you, if God is, is prompting your heart in that way tonight, call him Lord. Lord, I believe believe in Jesus. Father, I thank you that one thing never changes and that it is that Jesus is Lord. And Father, I thank you that we know that because 2,000 years ago a child was born and a son was given. Father, he came and established peace that we might be forgiven and, and know and serve you forever and and Lord, your word says he's coming back to establish a kingdom, a kingdom foreshadowed in this prophecy in which those of us who believe will get to live in forever. And Father, I know that to many that sounds like a fairy tale, but to those of us who believe, we know that it's true. Father, I thank you that tonight we can embrace the joy of Christmas. I thank you tonight that we can embrace the gift of Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that, that, that in in him, each and every one of us, Lord, you are saying is lovable and, and valuable and precious in your sight. 
that you want a relationship with each and every one of us, and, and you wanted it so badly, you sent Jesus here to rescue us. Father, I pray that as we go into this dark night, that we will go with joy, that we will go with hope. Father, not because we sang pretty songs and, and heard, hopefully, a, a helpful message, but because we came and met with Jesus, Jesus whom we love, Jesus whom we seek, Jesus whom we worship because he is worthy of all honor and praise. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.